Welcome back. It's Swing Pass, your source for AUDL news and media. I'm Adam Ruffner, and that is Daniel Cohen with a fresh new haircut. Same guy. Three years? Was it three years since your last Three years, trip? yeah. Just past the three-year mark. It was time. It ran its course, but I feel lighter now. Very, like, shifty and elusive. I feel betrayed, man. I've still got my pony back here. I know it's done up for today. I couldn't quite wash it in time for our taping, but you know, I thought we had the long hair gang going on, and now I'm. Just I think you, you gotta cut it. Spending, spending you gotta, you gotta join the hair products. It's yeah, winter. you gotta join the I short hair crew. Hair. I know, I know. You're you're a terrible temptation for me to just go back to my roots of short hair don't care it's it's really it's really nice i will i will say that (laughs) this probably isn't what people tuned in for but maybe it is i don't know (laughs) uh we've got a bunch to get to today there has been more and more off-season news over the past week you can go to audl.com as well as check out audl social media to check up on those signings and announcements but today on this show we're going to be talking about teams that did not make the postseason in 2022 who we think have a pretty good chance of making it in 2023. And we're going to start in an order of most likely to make it to what we perceive to be least. But obviously, we could be totally wrong about these predictions. Rosters still haven't been finalized at all. There's still tryouts going on all over the country. But Daniel, why don't you lead us into our first team, the Los Angeles Aviators? Yeah, so we... I think collectively think LA is probably the most likely to make the playoffs this year of all the teams that did not make the playoffs last year. And Pavel is the biggest reason, right? Like we spent the majority of an episode talking about the Pavel Giannis addition to LA, the ADL's all-time assist leader, watching what he built in Chicago and the way he recruited and brought so much like on-field consistency and built up a consistent system there. I, I expect him to do the same thing in L.A. I don't know for sure if it's going to be this year that we see those immediate results, but it's hard not to get excited about it. So you see L.A. getting better. Presumably, there's going to be a little bit more movement between San Diego and L.A. We haven't heard any confirmed reports, but every offseason, it's kind of like the Dallas-Austin situation where you see a couple guys start to gravitate towards one team or the other and then maybe shift back and forth. There's always plenty of San Diego, L.A. movement. So I I do think Pavel has the gravity to bring a little bit more talent and like just overall buy-in to the L.A. market. So we'll see what happens there. And then I think with San Diego maybe getting a little bit worse because of that movement. And Salt Lake, we saw they lost Joe Merrill, who is going out to D.C. this year. They might get a little bit worse. So those are the two other playoff teams it is a big loss, and it is a big loss for a team that like wasn't so deep offensively. So I worry, like, is that going to mean just more pressure on Jordan Kerr? Can he really level up the shred from what we saw from them last year, or was that more of them operating at their ceiling? So I think there's just a lot of question marks with those top two or three seeds in the West. Colorado, we still assume, is going to be in the playoffs. But I, I like LA's chances this year. I don't know for sure if I would pencil them into a spot right now, but I do think they are the most likely of the teams we're going to discuss today. 
Yeah, I mean, again, it's one of those all due respect, but to San Diego and Salt Lake, obviously they both earned their playoff spots last season. But I, I got to concur with you, I think, with the addition of Pavel and just seeing what kind of places he will fix for the Aviators. You know, you talk about this L.A. team. They weren't particularly good at the finer technical points, particularly on offense. Their red zone rating was in the bottom half of the league the last two mm -hmm. seasons. They struggled in kind of situations that felt gimme to other teams, especially playoff caliber teams. And those are the kinds of things that I know you talk in a longer timeline about building the culture, building the franchise, but those are places where Pavel can just plug in and start improving, I think, basically in game one, you know? And I think mm -hmm. Aviators were a team that were punchy last season, but they, again, kind of lacked that, that, that little bit of refinement that a, a handler the caliber of Pavel will give them immediately. And I just think that that little added benefit along with Salt Lake and San Diego possibly slipping a footing or two will really make that final spot or two in the West Division totally up for grabs. I mean, with the signing as announced for the Colorado Summit, I think that they have to enter again as the presumptive favorites to win the West. But beyond that, yeah, I think it's going to be a real brawl. Like, I think we're going to see a real melee out West between, you know, the three teams that we're talking about here, as well as maybe Oakland and Seattle starting to get a little frisky. But yeah, getting, getting back to the central point, I think LA remains the most likely team to kind of flip its destiny between last season and this season. You do that by adding a living legend like Pavel Giannis. But right now, right yeah. now, like a way too early uh, prediction here. Would you say they're going to be a playoff team in 2023? We haven't seen like any signings from San Diego. I don't think we've seen any from Salt Lake either. Uh, but just gut feeling, you think they do it? Yeah, I do. I think that like the the sort of energy that's brought to it, I know that gets into the, all the intangible mess. It gets a little woo woo, but you know, just just the kind of momentum you can build off of a signing like Pavel, and you know that he's going to come in with a rigid set of expectations for himself and the kind of performance he wants to put on in his first season in L.A. And I just mm -hmm. think that there's a lot of carry forward momentum with that. I think you saw that from the expansion teams in the West last year. I mean, they took two out of the three spots. And we we thought that that might be a possibility. But, you know, Salt Lake and Colorado really came out and capitalized on a lot of the just, I think, energy that comes with the team playing in its first season together. And I think that you're going to see that a little bit with the Aviators. Now, they've announced a whole bunch of veteran re-signings. They're bringing back Michael Keoy. Mitchell Steiner, Andrew Padula, guys who have played with the franchise basically mm -hmm. since day one, really solid players. And I just think you're going to see all of them kind of turn a new page. Like, I, I think for as much experience as you have on this announced Aviators roster, there's going to be a new feeling. There's going to be kind of like a zest. You know, I think they're really going to start to vibe with playing with each other. You know, you talk about full season of Everest Shapiro, who as a rookie last year looks so good. You talk about a full season of Sam Cook, maybe getting a couple of weapons alongside of him in the offense to help alleviate some of the load that him and Kioi were carrying as downfield playmakers for this team last season. I, I just think, you know, for as much as there's a returning sameness to this Aviators, Pavel's presence is just going to, I think, renew a lot of systems and energy and how they just play on the field. And I think that that matters a lot. I think that that's 
really yeah. has a power. And so, yeah, I, I do think that they're going to claim a playoff spot. I don't, I don't know if it's that second or that third seed, but yeah, I, I do think that they're going to compete in the West right out the gate. I think that that's, that's what we were talking about with Pavel this whole time. He's one of those maybe 10 players who can really do that for a franchise in this league, just kind of get the gears working in larger order than they ever have been before. Right. Yeah. I, I think I agree. I mean, right now, at least granted they're, they are, I'm pretty sure the only team we've heard signings from uh, out West of the playoff contenders that we, that we hear about besides Colorado. So I, yeah, like you said, I think it's a momentum thing. So I I think they are going to come into the season as like a, a newly reinvigorated LA squad. Yeah. I, I think I just, I have oddly enough, I have less questions about them than I do about San Diego and Salt Lake, although <laughs> their resumes are more proven at this point. Yeah. So maybe don't take me quite at my word yet. I still, I'm yeah. still questioning exactly what role Pavel is going to fill. Like yeah. exactly how he plays given this new context of the West division, which we've, we've talked about West ball uh, as we like to call it, which is a, a much looser style of offense. I hope he doesn't get sucked into all that, but we'll see what happens. I think happens. he would have slowed. I, 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 like, <laughs> my mind can't even imagine the scenario where he's caught up in the swirl. It was, that. but it was yeah. him. He was the one that, the the quote of last year's Chicago team, the, what, bucket getters, shooters and bucket getters, that was a Pavel quote. So it is yeah, kind of like up his alley. He but it's, it's like... Yeah, Chicago didn't huck it much right. at all. <laughs> they did. They hucked it more than they did the previous year, but yeah, still not anything significant. So I don't know. It's, everything's kind of up in the air still in that LA system, I think. But there's definitely excitement to be had. Well, that's our team out west. Why don't we move down south and talk about last year's eight and four Atlanta hustle. I uh, wrote about a little bit this week in the AUDL reset. They just announced their captains for the season, Matt Smith, JP Burns, Bradley Sunjins, and Christian Olsen will be at the helm of the leadership council as players. There's also been a returning of the coaching staff for the hustle that by almost every team metric you can look at were a top 10, if not top (laughs) seven squad last year, yet didn't make the playoffs. That's because In an away game in mid-July in Austin, they had a lead on the road playing their second game in a back-to-back in Texas Heat, and the Soul rallied at home to come away with the one-goal win, effectively ending Atlanta's season there on the spot. I I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that that last year's Atlanta team was the best non-playoff team ever. I mean, we went into the year talking about it being the most talented Atlanta team ever. They had just come off of the 2021 season where they lost to the New York Empire on a last-second buzzer beater. Stop me if you've heard this storyline before with New York. But (laughs) Atlanta was playing like a championship team. I mean, you go back to that 2021 season, they had wins over Carolina, New York, and D.C. You know, last year they had more talent, and it doesn't really equate to the same sort of results, and they come up this shy of the postseason and now it sort of feels like I include myself in this I've kind of forgotten about how good the hustle have been but this is a really strong squad and I think the reason why we don't even put them above LA as far as likelihood to make the playoffs is because they're in a division with Carolina who is still probably one of the top three to four teams in the entire league and will be for the foreseeable future 
and Austin, who is trying to throw their hat into that same sort of elite inner circle. And there's still presumably just two playoff spots up for grabs in 2023. So Atlanta remains a remarkable competitor, but man, they've got hurdles. And just even kind of sneak peeking ahead to next week's uh, schedule release, there is going to be a lot of battles between Carolina and Atlanta this year. <laughs> yeah, I Atlanta, it, that's probably right to say that they're the best ever non-playoff team for any given season. They have so much talent. The problem was just having that talent on a consistent basis. Like, how many games did Khalif play last year? Maybe five. I think they got five games from Max Thorne. They got a couple games from John Stubbs. Uh, five games from Jeremy Langdon. Like, they got all these names and, like, they were big-name signings prior to the season they building well on... In, in those games. Like, that's the other thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, they didn't just add on a whole bunch of talent and that talent didn't really fit together you you watch the games and it's like oh that that totally makes sense when they played austin in week four and kind of blew the doors off of the soul that was that was their ceiling yeah that was that was like that was an insight into what this team could be it's just hard they're getting all these out of town guys i don't think they practice much as like a full team because of that and the out of town guys can't commit for the full season so like if you're only getting you know, three to seven games from some of these top players. I think Bobby Lay maybe played seven or eight games too. He was a big name addition. It's just hard compared to a team like New York or like Austin that just gets this consistent buy-in from their guys every single season. With Atlanta, they just can't really, they don't have the luxury of like experimenting with different rotations and really like solidifying guys' roles as much as like New York could. For example, like the Ben Yacht and Babbitt switch like Atlanta could toy with some of that stuff, but it was because New York had the week-to-week consistency of those guys playing and just being able to see, uh, you know, how they fare in practice on those different lines and just really building up like a collective unit on both their offense and their defense. Atlanta just had had this like ever rotating thing on really both sides of the disc. So it's hard. It's hard to see if they take that same approach. For them to really be considered like an elite team, I think they kind of have to like refocus inwards and maybe more towards some of those local guys and really, you know, have faith in those kind of original Atlanta rotations and kind of go back to the basics almost um, while still finding ways to integrate those new pieces in specific roles. So like it's a really hard challenge for that coaching staff. Uh, I just think Atlanta is one of like the more unique really good teams in the UDL right now. Yeah, I, I think you make a really astute point comparing them to New York. And I want to get back to that in just a second. But just I, I'm looking at a couple of these stats and they just blow my mind how a team like this doesn't make the playoffs. They were fourth in turnovers per game. Uh, they're one of four teams turning the disc over less than 15 times per game last year. The other three squads were New York. I did East. not realize they were that high, by the way. They were like that yeah. efficient with the disc. Here's the other thing. They owned the deep uh, area of the field on both offense and defense. They were terrific against the Huck. And as an offensive team, they might have been the most precisely calibered team from long distance. They had the fewest Huck turns per game while still being fifth overall in Hucks per game themselves. They uh, had less than three huck turns and completed almost nine per game. 
meaning that they were just testing you and able to complete it with throwers like Austin Taylor, John Stubbs, like you mentioned, Bobby Lay, Christian Olsen doing a terrific job, not necessarily as a mm-hmm. deep thrower, but I think setting up so much of what Atlanta likes For to do sure. backfield. I think Olsen being in that backfield last year allowed Austin Taylor to get upfield and become that kind of like initiating striker piece that makes him so, so dangerous when he can kind yeah. of himself up as a mobile passer and unleash those bombs downfield you know there's just there's so much to like about the hustle and you again you look at the stats you look at the names on paper it, it is one of those teams that again it just it strains the mind to think that a team like this <laughs> didn't quite make it into the postseason and yet to what you were saying in your comparison to new york you, you talk about it almost like New York has a luck there, but I think it's very much built into how they've constructed that roster of allowing yeah. those vets back onto the team. I think we heard that from Matt Stevens and some of the older veteran leaders after they won the championship in 2022, that that, that D2 that they like to call it kind of made up of the other pieces that weren't Ben Yad and John Randolph and Jabron Meeser, the A1 yeah. athletes, Antoine Davis, you know, this D2 lineup was all these veterans and things that were that were actually a little bit more successful over the long run than D1 in a lot of instances. They got some mm-hmm. really, really clutch turnovers in championship weekend, particularly against Carolina. I'm thinking about the Drost block. You know, they have this kind of um, system knowledge that while they add in all this other talent, they're not afraid to say, hey, You've been with this team for so long. You know what to do on these points. Get out there and go play how you know to. And I think you saw with Atlanta last year, they had all of the talent in the world, but they weren't quite maybe relying on those back-end pieces as much as they had in the past. Kind of the squad that Mm -hmm. had built them up, the foundation that had kind of gotten them to their evolutionary state. And it just, you could see it against Austin, right? Like you could see it in that fourth quarter. That was the strength. Atlanta had talent in that game. They were struggling. Minus Matt Smith, I will add. They were down Matt Smith in that game. He was out because of COVID coming back from World Games, unfortunately. And that was, I feel like, definitely a missing piece for the hustle. But still, they had enough talent to win that game. And you could just feel in the margins, they weren't quite clicking. They couldn't get those couple of scores that would have pushed them over for the win in the fourth quarter. And by contrast, you saw a soul team really kind of galvanized in the way that they've internally developed i i, I just wanted yeah. to kind of second that point you brought up about comparing atlanta's kind of framework to new york's i think that it's very apt given that they've both been just adding on talent the past couple of off seasons and yet one is kind of going this way and the other ones i i still have tons and tons <laughs> of respect for atlanta but they they gotta kind of prove it now it feels like yeah in austin leapfrogged them a little bit it, fe- it does feel that way. I mean, Austin just has, like, so much momentum trending upward right now, right? And Atlanta just kind of has the opposite. So looking at that divisional playoff race, you do kind of want to pencil in Austin for that two seed just right off the bat, considering that they've gotten better every single season. And, yeah, they, they did just barely sneak into the playoffs this last year, but it did feel it felt like the the momentum was kind of taking them in that direction anyway as a franchise so you know it was it was a matter of time before they before they did leapfrog atlanta and yeah i think the the ball is kind of back in atlanta's court they're going to they're going to ha- kind of have a chip on their shoulder this year playing against 
Carolina who swept them in what I think three meetings last year. Uh, and yeah, of course that late season loss to Austin, like Atlanta's going to want to win these games this year. I'm sure they did last year too, but even more so. So we'll see if that also ends up mattering down the stretch. Yeah. I, I love a good revenge tour and I think the the boys from the South can definitely make that happen. Uh, but why don't yeah. we scoot a little bit more Northward and talk about the central division and <laughs> The team that I feel like has been in this exact spot and was almost kind of the basis. I know. For I'm sure we time. talked about this last year too. The Madison Radicals, the 2018 league champions who have not returned to the postseason since, now going on five years after making it to championship weekend in each of their first six seasons as a franchise. Madison remains kind of the ultimate litmus test team these past couple of years, where if you beat them in the regular season, you are going to the postseason in the Central Division. And if you lose to them, it kind of feels like, you know, you start to get into your rockier steps. But once again, mm-hmm. we just kind of expect the same sort of blueprint from the Radicals. Really stout defense. Offense is going to be built around sound principles of moving the disc, being really effective in the red zone, and maybe not taking so many deep shots, but ultimately being more of a by-committee approach. I'm interested to see if the thrower Kai Marcus can come back into the fold after his season-ending ACL tear at the beginning of 2022 set him back. Mm-hmm. He was such a dynamic thrower for their deep space engagement, something that Madison hasn't really ever had. I mean, even in 2018, a lot of their offense was Pat Trywise and Peter Graffy playing really, really good two-man ball in tight spaces and kind of working off of each other. And then they would take the down downfield shots when they could, but a lot of that stuff was small ball. I, Anyways, I, I'm getting off topic. I I think for 2023, you see the same blueprint for Madison. I think one of the things that they've struggled with the past couple of years has been uh, stout against injuries. It feels like they've had a, an injury derail them in each of the past two seasons that they can't quite mm-hmm. get back from. It's Kevin Brown in 2021. It was Kai Marcus in 2022, along with a smattering of other weekly misses here or there. I guess I'll pose the question that you kind of posed to me about L.A., do you feel like this is the year, given that Chicago might be a little bit lesser, Minnesota might be a little bit lesser, that Minnesota, or excuse me, Madison can finally get back to the postseason? Is, is 2023 going to be different, or is it the same sort of Madison gets one or two really quality wins against the Minnesota or Chicago, and then they just can't quite put it all the way together? <laughs> They really have been like right on the verge of making the playoffs these past several seasons. Like it's it's always between like whenever they play Matt or Minnesota or Chicago, especially at home, I truly feel like those games could go either way. And and Indy too. And it was Indy that ended up beating them in Madison to really clinch their own playoff berths. And so with with as close as Madison's gotten the past few seasons, and the fact that I don't think their team is going to be any worse this year I am a little bit worried about Minnesota and Chicago just not having like as much of a stronghold on the division and the division being much more up for grabs really for all three playoff seeds like I I would have no idea how to predict the three seeds right now so I think based on that then I I do want to I want to pencil in Madison for a playoff spot just because I, I think they have as good a chance as any of the three other teams Nothing yeah. nothing against uh, Pittsburgh or Detroit. I just don't think they're quite in this conversation yet. 
it really feels like since the mystique of the home stadium at Breeze broke in 2019 when Chicago yeah. and Indy each got wins there. I, I, Minnesota did as well. Uh, there was that big Potter Act block in the game of the week that kind of clinched the wind chill victory in week six, uh, I'm recalling. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, it, those those games that felt very close, but Madison was always going to win from 2013 through 2018, it's like mm-hmm. all of that magic has just been kind of let out of the genie bottle. Like there, there's just, there's no ability to really win more than one or two of those divisional games against the other existing playoff teams in the central. And it's just been gut wrenching blow after gut wrenching blow. I mean, you had the, the Cameron Brock goal at the end of regulation yeah, put for the tiebreaker uh, late last season. You had uh, the year before there was that second matchup at Madison between Chicago and uh, the radicals. And Madison mm-hmm. was holding tight for the first three quarters, and then Nate Goff and the Union D-line broke it open, and that was it for the rest of the way. It just it feels like there were all these really vintage moments of Madison preserving the win at home through their first several seasons. And it's just, again, I, I'm reiterating it, but it's just kind of completely flipped the script the past three years. Do you do you think Madison can get that? I don't know if it's composure. I don't know if it's discipline. I don't know if it's crowd control, but that, that, <laughs> that extra something that they always had. Cause again, this is a franchise that was kind of always maligned for its talents coming into the league. I mean, when mm-hmm. they came in in 2013, they were supposed to be lesser than Chicago and then radicals go to Chicago and upset goose Helton. And the Brody Smith led Chicago wildfire, you know, like feel right. like Ch- Madison has always been working a little bit, behind some of the talent pools that their competitors have in the division but they've they've always had that that extra thing and it feels like that extra thing has 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 kind of gone away does does that come back do you do you cultivate that like i I don't know maybe maybe i'm just making up that thing like (laughs) (laughs) no no no. i i get what you're i get what you're saying i mean like three straight years of not making the playoffs, you gotta imagine they they now have this like pretty significant underdog mentality. I would think, and I, I think maybe in twenty nineteen, maybe even twenty twenty one, they were still like, oh, like we're still the radicals. We should be winning these games. But I think by now their mindset has to have changed, right? And as far as the home crowd thing goes, like they are still getting like a thousand fans a game, oh, and yeah. I think there is still something about that energy that does make it easier to play in those favorable environments in the UDL. So I still think even though clearly the, the magic is gone in that what their like 70 game home win streak uh, was ended in 2019, it's still, it's still going to make a difference. I still am going to favor them a little bit more than I would uh, them playing on the road when they are playing at Breeze Stevens. They did win a game against Minnesota this past year playing at breeze didn't they that was like kind of kind of late in the season too so you know the magic isn't isn't totally i mean i guess i just wouldn't call it magic anymore i would just call it like standard home field advantage at this point but i really think you mentioned kai marcus before i do think the the re-addition to him to that offense not like he was you know the the answer to all of their offensive problems but just having that guy in the backfield that can be a vertical threat with his throws and also just kind of command the offense and be a pure quarterback back there. 
that helps. And that that's something we see from a lot of these elite teams. A lot of the best teams in the league have a guy like that. So I, I definitely think that added dimension to the Radicals offense is going to hopefully up their overall offensive efficiency, which I would say has been their biggest issue over the past few seasons. So I, I would like to see a full season of the Radicals offense with Kai Marcus, you know, before making any any further future predictions into the, the outlook of the Radicals. But I, I would say at this point, I would be optimistic that they will get into the playoffs this year. Yeah, I mean, me too. That's why they're they're on our uh, consensus list here. This, this they're on the list. I I am thinking though. Do you think they're more likely than Atlanta now that we're talking about it more? Like the Central is just so up for grabs. It's like three spots between four teams, and I have no idea what order any of them are going to be in. It's just hard because Atlanta's so good, and Atlanta's probably a better team than Madison. The Central is just, like, so you, scattered you can right drop now. The probably. You can drop the probably. Like, <laughs> Atlanta would win the Central Division this year, point-blank period, if they played. I, I think so, yeah. I, I don't think that's particularly controversial <laughs> to say. I think it, and sure. I think that is why we put Atlanta slightly above. And, you know, full disclosure, we were even going to put Atlanta number one. But to be honest, with the two playoff spots in the South, what are, yeah. what are you going to do? What are you going to do? There's probably division. three of the top seven teams in the South. Yeah, but I don't know what to do. But I, yeah, I just I, want I to think... go back. You you mentioned the home crowd in Madison, still big as yeah, ever, yeah. still raucous as ever. What what I've noticed in my time there is that it feels like away team players are learning to kind of lean into that heel role a little bit more, really feed sure. off of almost the negative energy of hey, I'm gonna shut you guys up sort of play. Yeah. yeah, that 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 didn't happen for years. It was always kind of like confusing boisterousness because it's like hey you've never won here you don't get a talk smack but now it's like with a couple of wins on your side suddenly that confidence is rolling suddenly yeah. you feel good yeah. suddenly you want to do a couple of i don't know celebrations at the crowd steal pizza <laughs> time at the beginning of every fourth quarter anyways anyways let's get on to our final team and i think our most surprising team and i I, I I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid at this point. I I'm I I I've always liked the Rush organization. I, I, watching them just kind of have a full turnover of that core, similar to Madison, that had just won so much over the course of the better part of a decade was was difficult. And seeing how young and kind of flustered at times the Rush were in 2022, I had a lot of empathy for them. But now going into 2023, the Toronto Rush in the East Division. With the return of their young stars and James Lewis and Oscar Stonehouse, along with the announcement of their captains and Kevin Jay, Luke Kamiri, their center handler, and the 2022 AUDL Blocks leader, Phil Turner, who made an appearance at the All-Star Game. It feels like there's a little bit of mojo to this Toronto team. You could see it in points in 2022. There were times mm -hmm. where the rush made sense. You'd see them out in the open field. They'd have, again, that little bit of confidence, a little bit of jazz in their step. But they were also such a young team that when they made a mistake, they'd make five more immediately like it. And that's why you saw some of the almost uh, avalanche-style scoring droughts that they would go on against uh, D.C. <laughs> and New York in particular, where they're just getting the doors blown off. And you look at a 29-8 to final score, and you think, this team is a joke. But Toronto was experimenting last year. Toronto, Toronto was labbing. There's a lot of different lineups. There's a lot of different players kind of playing one position one week, shifting it a little bit next week, trying to find the right rhythms. And I really feel mm -hmm. like towards the end of that season, 
Toronto started to make sense, particularly in offense. Now, I know Turner is one of the most talented block getters in the league, but that rush defense still is a huge question mark for me. But on offense, I mean, I, I, I wrote about it a little bit this week. James Lewis and Oscar Stonehouse are just fun, man. They're just fun. They got to keep Stonehouse there, though. They oh. moved him over. A little I, bit. I want more Stonehouse on offense. Well, they were giving up 30 on defense. They had to figure out something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I agree. I, Stone, Stonehouse's natural home is on offense. And, and James Lewis, I might have mentioned it at some other point, probably deserved a lot more consideration for most improved. I mean, I remember him He's in his season in 2021 as being the other Lewis brother from his brother Wilkie. And then in 2022, James Lewis goes out and leads the team and scores with 50, has over 3,000 receiving yards, is top, I think, seven in both of those categories per game, goals mm-hmm. per game, receiving yards per game in the league. And in addition to that, he was just like clutch. Like, I know they didn't have a whole bunch of really pressure cooker games that meant a lot, but in tight games, they were going to Lewis and they were going to Lewis in double coverage and throwing up a lot of trust discs. And he was coming down with a lot of those balls. And I, I I don't know. I just, they're fun. They're fun. If they get some of the pieces they back that they had last year, Ryan Polos, who is another great piece for them. Mm-hmm. They, if they get a couple of these Ottawa guys over, if they get like, I don't know, you know, an Alec Arsenault, a, a David Cho Leach, a, a all-star game, Jeremy Hill, you know, like those, those are good pieces. Those can do things. And, 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 this isn't to take anything away from Philly or, or presumptively DC, New York, although I don't really think they're in danger of losing playoff spots right now. But, you know, th- talking about Philly, I think Philly still has all of the inside track on that third seed in the East Division. But man, I, I like where Toronto's going. I like where head coach Adrian Yearwood is building them. You know, you, you can just see it. You can, you can squint and you can start to see, okay, this team has some good bones. You know, there, there's, some, there's some structure and some things to like here. I I don't necessarily disagree with you, but it is interesting to single out oh, Toronto. Disagree, disagree with Well, me. it's interesting to single out Toronto over Montreal and Boston because all three teams were kind of like beating up on each other last year. Like, I think they all split games against each other. We saw them all play decently against Philly also. So like there, there doesn't seem to be a ton of, like a, a major gap in that battle for the three seed. At least there wasn't last year. I agree with you in that it seems like Toronto is trending upward, and I, I'm really curious to see who they get from Ottawa. I think that could make a pretty significant difference in the division, because like you mentioned, those those few guys, and just like, like Ottawa had a, a good amount of like top-end talent. They were not the deepest team, but some of their best players like could still be starters on other teams in the East. And so depending on how how many of those guys go over to Toronto, yes, I, I would probably favor Toronto over Montreal and over Boston to challenge Philly for that three seed. But I still just don't think the gap is like so significant there, right? Like I, I don't know for sure if I'd be like confident in Toronto to sweep Montreal this season or sweep Boston. Oh, no, like I, I, I still feel like enough of those games can go either way, you know? Yeah, th- this isn't so much a disrespect to Montreal. I'm just, they're so confusing to me after the injuries, after they built so much of yeah. the roster and bringing in international talent over the last few years and post-pandemic. How, how does that kind of figure out? You know, like, 
it's not so much a question about Montreal as more of an affirmation, I think, of where Toronto is headed. Because you're absolutely right. I mean, Montreal sure. was DNO to start last year. They looked like <laughs> an absolute inside track. They got a road win at Philly. And then, you know, they get a couple injuries, most notably, I think, to Christophe Tremblay-Joncas, who really seemed to be taking the leap to an elite defender, if not elite overall D-line player in this league. Yeah. And had a season-ending injury. And, you know, Bonad comes on mid-season, but he takes a game or two to really get up to speed. It, it was just, it, it felt like they could never quite get over the rotational arrhythmia that they had from basically week four onward. Um, right. And and I, I expect them to bounce back. I just, I, I don't know, something about maybe Toronto's been here before, that they have one of their legendary vets in Yearwood at the helm, that they they just got like a little, I don't know, something. There's, yeah. there's something there. There's something that can, there's something that can chew on there. And I just didn't quite feel that way about Toronto last year. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, I think they are trending the right direction. It does also hurt that Ottawa is gone now because those seem like more, you know, more wins that, that Toronto, you could pencil them in for this season. I, yeah, I just don't know if like the standings are going to quite shake out in a way that Toronto does get that three seed over a team like Philly. But I don't know. I, I could see them also taking a pretty significant leap. Like you said, I, I think the, the fact that their roster is so... Yeah, I I know, and they they could play games like that as a thing. They they showed some ability to have like these you know ten to twelve turnover games and just like super efficient offense. I still I still don't think they're gonna be able to like sustain that for a significant period of the season. And like you said, I think their defensive issues are are probably gonna stay the same. But you know the. The ceiling, I, I think, is visible right now for Toronto to kind of get back to maybe close to the status they were before this this rebuilding period. Yeah, I you know I I could sit here and kind of fuddle through all this gray area at, at all day long, but <laughs> I, I think that's a good point to wrap it up on. You know, we're at a point just kind of discussing about what teams might go over the hump, but where this I think will really be interesting, and what we should almost do is. After next week's schedule release, we should go back and look at the likelihood mm. of these teams and actually yeah. figure out what their matchups are because that's going to be dictating. As we kind of hinted at, there's going to be a lot of Atlanta and Carolina blood this year. There's going to be a lot of Texas teams interacting throughout the season. We can't wait for the 2023 AUDL schedule drop again. That will happen on Monday, February 6th. We hope you will tune in with the league then. We'll be back next week with another episode of Swing Pass. I'm Adam Ruffner. That's Daniel Cohen. We'll see you soon.